Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, don't forget to check out the food blogging forum style community that we started over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. Finally, there's one place that we can all convene and talk and that isn't scattered all over Facebook. Here are the things that I am loving about it. It is free. It also allows for categorized discussions on all food blogging topics And there's a category for sharing successes, aka self-promotion. So no more holding back about discussing your big wins and things that you're promoting. Also, everything is in one single spot. So no hopping around from group to group. And there's an amazing opportunity to network and really get to know your fellow food bloggers in a single place. So come join the discussions that are going on over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Don't forget forum.eatblogtalk.com. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for you, food bloggers seeking value for your businesses and your lives. Today on Eat Blog Talk, I will be talking to Amanda from mindfulavocado.com, and we will discuss determining your style and brand for food photography. Amanda Sager has been the recipe developer, food photographer, videographer, and content creator behind Mindful Avocado blog since 2015. Mindful Avocado is a vegan and vegetarian food blog focusing on simple ingredients. Amanda also dedicates her time to helping others improve their food photography skills. When she's not working on her blog, she's working on anything crafty, honing her skills as a tap dancer, or lounging at home with her cat and good coffee. I feel like you had a few uh, fun facts packed into your bio, Amanda. Those are so fun. But in addition to that, do you have another fun fact to share with us? Yeah. So as a child, whenever we did projects, like the whole, what do you want to be when you grow up question came up. And I remember saying, I always want to be a veterinarian because I just loved animals. But then I soon found out that you would have to watch pets die. And that just sounded like (laughs) the worst thing in the world. So I quickly switched and I said, I'm going to be an inventor. And I don't really know if I like even knew what that meant at the time, but I think it's funny how it kind of came full circle and I consider myself a little bit of an entrepreneur now. So it's kind of like I'm doing it. (laughs) 
That's awesome. I love when things from childhood pop up in adulthood and then you just have that light bulb moment like, oh my gosh, I totally knew this as a kid and I am with you on the veterinarian thing like or you know animals in general are just so awesome but the whole watching them die thing would be just heart-wrenching over and over oh so I agree with you on that well thank you for sharing that and I was just going to start by saying as you so acutely know food photography is such a huge important piece of the food blogging puzzle And if we have those mouthwatering photos that represent our food really well, I think that definitely gives us a leg up. And you, Amanda, have managed to tap into food photography and make it a personal forte that you also find passion in. So can you start by talking to us about how you got started with taking beautiful photos of food? Yeah, um, I will definitely agree with you that starting with food photography and really focusing on that has helped me a lot with my whole blogging career. But like how I first got started is I had the opportunity to meet Britt Morin, and she's the CEO of Britt & Co. And I was asked to be a contributor to their website. And prior to that, I never blogged, I never recipe developed, uh, took pictures of my food beyond just like a meal I really liked at a restaurant. I didn't even have a personal Instagram account at the time. And that was also back in 2015. And I did own a DSLR camera and I knew some photography basics because I did take photography in college, but I had no idea how I would translate that to food. But I was really determined to do a good job. So I just practiced relentlessly, like every weekend, every like day after work, if there was some sun, I would rush home and take pictures. And I really got into it. So then after that whole experience, that's when I decided to actually make my own blog. So that's so interesting that photography came first, and then the blog came, and that you were kind of inspired by something completely out of the realm of food blogging even. So that's a a really unique story and segue into food blogging. I think that most of us start completely differently. So I love that. So how did things develop from there? Yeah, so um, I do have a background in graphic design. And so developing a personal style has always been a key point in my work. And I feel like as bloggers or food photographers, many of us don't really identify our food photography as an art, but downplay it by saying, yeah, like I take pictures of food, like, yeah, I have a blog, but like it really is an art and a skill. And all this stuff takes practice and experimentation. So actually an exercise in one of my courses, I literally have my students write down all of the food photographers they admire and comparing them to see if there's some underlying theme going on. And I do recommend when you're starting out, like copy the people that you like, like it is the biggest form of flattery. And it's like a really important step to become your own artist. I love that, that you're pointing out that food photography is an art and it's kind of easy to gloss over that, I think, for myself, because it's just, it gets to be a part of the process, right? Like it's another step. Like I make the food, then I take the pictures and then, you know, X, Y, Z. And then I don't take the time to step back and see it as actually an art form all the time. And what a great recommendation to kind of notice what the underlying themes are. So when you recommend that, do you find that it's easier for people to see their own underlying themes when they start looking at other people's underlying themes? I do. I mean, when I first started, uh, Minimalist Baker was kind of my like gold star photographer blogger that I really admired. And 
when I first started photography, I was really studying her stuff and, you know, getting a glimpse of how she sets up photo shoots and like the angles she uses. And I was trying to use that on my own. And then once you get more comfortable, like I was starting to see, I was breaking away from that and it kind of formed into my own style. So now if I compared a picture to hers, they probably look crazy different. But back then that was like my way of trying to navigate through this field to figure out what I like for my personal style. So you take someone that you respect and the work that they do, you respect it. And then you take things from that that maybe you can relate to or that you like. And then eventually you just evolve into your own unique kind of style that's not even not even like necessarily the person that you started with. I really like that. So can I ask you, how long do you spend approximately for like a basic, you know, recipe that you put up on your blog just on the food photography? Yeah. Um, well, I guess not including like process shots because I really try to do that. So I guess like once the recipe's finished and then I'm just doing like final shots, um, anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes, I would say. I try not to go longer than that because I can really get carried away. But I do try to stick between 30 and 45 minutes. Do you feel like that's gotten shorter or longer over time? I definitely feel like it gets shorter because once you have been doing it for a long time and you have maybe similar recipes. So like smoothies, it's kind of like I have a mental formula of like what angles I like. So I feel like it does go by quicker uh, setting up the photo shoots and executing all of the compositions that I would like to achieve. Yeah, we get more streamlined. I feel like as we go with everything, not just food photography, but the writing and putting all of the posts together Um, something that used to take me, I don't know. I remember telling a friend one time early on in my blogging career, she was like, well, how long does it take you to to do a a recipe post from start to finish? And I remember saying four to five hours. And she looked at me like I was insane. She was like, why would you do that? And then now it's so different. I can get it done almost like to a fault. Like I should probably spend more time on certain aspects. And food photography for me is something that I do not spend enough time on. I'm all, I feel like I'm always in a rush and I'm always like, got to get this photographed. And then after the fact, I'm like, you know, I could have done such a better job at that. So I think taking your timeline, like 30 to 45 minutes and almost like making yourself sit down and spend that much time because otherwise rushing through food photography is not good because you really want those mouthwatering, delicious photos and Can you talk us through how you do your setup? So like, do you have your scene set up and then you just bring the food in or what is kind of your style? Kind of. Yeah. I usually kind of work on the fly. I don't usually plan out everything, but if there are specific props or backgrounds I want to use, I will note that in Trello, which is what I use for all my recipes. And so I reference that and I will pull out everything that I want to use. And then when I'm getting ready to plate everything, I try to make sure I do a couple test shots with my camera to make sure the lighting is great. And then, yeah, last I bring in the food and I kind of go from there. So we talked a little bit about how to navigate through like finding what our personal styles are based on other people and getting inspiration from other photographers. What are some other tips you have for us about figuring out how to find our own unique style that sets us apart from others? Yeah, I would say taking um, 
Obviously, taking a look at people you admire is kind of a first step, but really evaluating, and this could seem very overwhelming, but evaluating who you are as a blogger and what you like taking pictures of mostly. So if you are a baker, for example, you're not going to be taking pictures of dinners or like breakfast is a lot like and really just evaluating that and how that can translate to your props and backgrounds and just trying to have a cohesive style with your props and backgrounds can be a huge turning point in your photography because that's what's going to give you your consistent style that people will start to identify when they see your work. So do you have any tips for us about how to use props and backgrounds to help define your style? Do you use the same props or same colors or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like this is always such an issue with food photographers out there, mostly because shopping is fun. And we are also just trying to buy all the things and thinking that is what is going to help us be a great food photographer. Um, I'm definitely guilty of that. And over the years, I've really reduced my props and backgrounds as I tend to personally take a more minimalist approach. And I do tend to stick to like lighter backgrounds. I do like pops of color, but I try to stick to just like white, neutral plates, napkins, all that kind of stuff. And the sooner you identify those things, it's like the smaller your collection can actually be. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of a tough one, right? Because when you start out, you buy everything. I remember being like, I need every color plate every color bowl, every size bowl, every kind of placemat. But now there's like the same five to six, if even that, I use, there's like just a handful of plates and bowls that I use consistently and placemats as well. But how do you, what is your best advice for people just starting and, you know, like saving money? We don't want to go out and buy everything we see. So what are your thoughts on that? What do we do? Yeah, um, I definitely suggest Again, like if you are noticing a theme with the handful of photographers that you like, you can say, oh, they, a lot of the times they use like light backgrounds. I probably don't need this black background today. <laughs> and also when you think about props, I find that my most successful props are actually the food that I'm using. So if I'm doing a soup and there's like parsley on top. I will use parsley like along the sides. And I feel like that just does such a great job of telling the story in your composition versus buying all these super specific props that you may not necessarily need all the time. I am so with you on that. And I kind of envy the photographers who just have like all those beautiful props and you know, you look at those photos, you're like, where did they get that? And where do they store all of that? But I just tend to go really easy and cheap and like, yeah, parsley, a bunch of parsley or a bunch of cilantro is so beautiful in a picture or like a lemon if you're using lemon or lime or something bright that pops. And I tend to go that route. And I think it's kind of like lazy for me, but it's like it works and it looks really beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I do always admire the people who have the stunning, just beautiful props too. Yeah. So anything else for props? So do you have any other thoughts about, I don't know, best tips about using props or styling? Um, I will say that when you are considering props, circling back to identifying who you are as a blogger and what you like to photograph, um, I call it identifying your muse. So if you 
are a baker and you do a ton of pictures of cakes, it might make sense to own multiple cake stands. Or if you do a lot of appetizers, like a lot of platters, just really identifying what you regularly take pictures of. And you can kind of start your collection based off that. Yeah, that's really good. Because like you said earlier, if you're a baker, you don't want to buy a lot of, you know, breakfast or dinner items. So, mm-hmm. okay. I talked a little earlier about photography being just such an important part of a blog's and a blogger's success. Because as you know, Amanda, everyone loves food that looks good. In what ways did improving your own food photography move your business forward and your blog forward? Yeah. So improving my food photography, I mentioned before, was one of the first things I focused on when starting a blog. I personally just felt when people visited my site, um, the photos is what really sells the food. And so I realized that kind of off the bat. And I wanted when people visited my site to be like, wow, this is like, a cool blog. Like she's legit. Like (laughs) I wanted to feel that way. So off the bat, when I started improving my food photography, my Pinterest traffic really increased, which definitely made sense because it's pretty much a visual Google. People are searching for recipes with their eyes and good photography is going to help with that. And so once my Pinterest traffic increased, it definitely translated to my own blog traffic and it's kind of just continues to go up from there. Yeah, the photos really, I like how you put that. It sells your blog and it sells your content because it's the first thing that people are going to look at to say like, oh my gosh, that looks delicious. But if you have crappy photos, you could have the best recipe in the world, but nobody is going to try it. And I always say like those thumbnails that pop up on Google even, just make sure they look really nice because it's like two seconds. People are going to look through that. And if they see something that looks like mush or like just gross, they're not ever going to click over on it. And that's one of the reasons I love Pinterest so much is that it's such a visual platform and the images are bigger than what you see on Google. So it's like a really, really good way for bloggers to get their mouthwatering photos up so people can be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I'm going to click over for sure. But yeah, I like how you said that selling, we have to sell our food and photos are the best way to do that. Mm -hmm. And I love comparing it to like, if you're shopping in like a little cute neighborhood that you've never been in before, you're really looking at the window displays to entice you into that store. And that's kind of what your photography is doing on Pinterest. You want people to come to your site. How do you do that? You have to have great photos, successful like text over it and to just get people interested in that recipe to get onto your website. I totally agree. And it really is like the most important thing, right? I mean, you have to have a solid recipe, obviously. But I would say this comes even before like SEO and writing. I agree. And the thing is, like, I've gone back and re-photographed plenty of recipes, but it's so easy to go back and change your SEO and rewrite a post yeah. way easier than it is to go back and redo a whole photo shoot. So it's like, I rather have great photos and I can just go back and rewrite the content for that blog post rather than go back and reshoot a whole recipe. That's a really good point. So if we have a bank of old content, let's say, would you recommend going through and just updating as many photos as you can first and then going back and you know, weeding out the SEO issues as you can? Or how would you recommend doing that? Yeah, last year, I kind of made it a point to revisit a lot of old posts. Um, A, it's quicker than writing brand new recipes. But B, I wanted more 
quality content on my blog rather than quantity. And I did reshoot a lot of recipes and I noted next to every single blog post I have, do I want to redo the photos? Do I want to just rewrite the post and change the SEO? And a lot of the times I did do um, the photography. And while it does take the same amount of time as doing a brand new photo shoot, I find it to be one of the most rewarding practices because it's so crazy to see like how I've grown even in like a couple years just taking like new photos. That's so true. I just did very recently... I did a redo of an old post that was like stuffed chicken breasts. And this was from like years ago. So my photos were just gross. Like (laughs) I can't believe that I kept those up for so long. But I saw them and I was like, that is a really good recipe. I love that recipe. So I'm going to redo the photos. And I mean, it's like a totally different photograph. So before when I would see it, I would cringe every time I saw it. But now I'm like, oh, that looks so good. And now it finally represents I feel like the actual like awesomeness of the recipe so people can look at it and go oh that looks delicious whereas before they were probably like what is she thinking I would never eat that (laughs) so that kind of does motivate me to want to go through my archives and just do photos because I think especially since 2019 when all of the SEO stuff was going on and the whole blogging world was thrown into a tailspin with that that we were so focused on the words and the keywords that we kind of forgot about the fact that we have photos that we can update too. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned that because it's, it's such a good point. Like the whole blogging world flipped upside down and people were freaking out about SEO. And for me, it was kind of a learning opportunity to take a step back and really realize that I don't want to be writing for Google. I want to be writing for my audience and my readers. And Pinterest for me is a great way to get traffic because I'm able to do recipes that maybe not everybody is Googling, but maybe you didn't know you needed this recipe in your life. And then you find it on Pinterest and you ended up liking the recipe. And I feel like I just get a more authentic viewer and I'm serving the people that I meant to be serving. And it kind of all comes back to photography. It's so true. And so in your notes, you mentioned that there's like one thing that improved your food photography that was kind of a game changer for you. Is that what you're referring to? Is there, or is there something else that you would see as being kind of the game changer for your photos? Um, the game changer for me is kind of a more technical thing. And I would say it's learning lighting. And when I first started, I was just working with weird hours. I still had a full-time job. So I was kind of dependent on after work or just weekends. And if it was like bad weather, then, you know, I was just kind of stuck. So really early on, I had to learn how to incorporate artificial lighting into my photos. And by viewing light as an object and how it affects your subject, I think is so important. Like, so during a photo shoot, I'm constantly moving uh, my artificial lights around and I'm also using bounce boards and I'm looking at the food to see how this light is playing with my subject. That's so interesting. Okay. So talk to us more about that. Like, first of all, which artificial lights do you use and do you recommend? And then kind of talk us through how you move them around and where you set them up in relation to your scene. Yeah, so I'm a little bit crafty. I made a little light box that sits on my table. And I actually do have a blog post about how I made that. 
And yeah, so I use that and it kind of just sits on my table. And then I have two soft boxes like on stands and those lights I will kind of move around as the natural light changes because I still have my table next to a window. So I guess I use kind of like a hybrid of natural and artificial, but I'm able to like move around my artificial lights more easily just to see how it's going to shine light on the food. So do you have a picture of the setup that we could link to in your show notes that people could look at if they wanted to? Uh, I believe I do. Yes. Okay. So we will do that. And then do you have like a certain brand of lights or soft boxes that you use? I have the link that we can put in the show notes. As well. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, that would be great. Mm-hmm. So do you find that this just opens up worlds for you having artificial lighting as an option? Because I know so many people, even like really big bloggers who have blogged forever still rely on natural lighting, myself included. I don't, I do not rely at all on artificial lighting. And I do feel a little bit tied because, you know, if it's after 4.30 in a winter month, I can't shoot photography. So this has to just open up so much time for you. It does. I mean, I think there's pros and cons to both natural and artificial lighting. And obviously the biggest con to natural lighting is you're so limited to the weather, the time of day, the season. It's it's all going to affect your photos. And that's why I just kind of grew to like love artificial lighting because I'm able to create natural looking light. And I have a lot more flexibility with when I do that. And do you feel like the quality of the photos are comparable? Do you feel like you can tell that it's artificial versus natural? No, I mean, I use kind of a hybrid, like I said, I don't use like 100%. I wouldn't be shooting at like 10pm. I feel like that would look a little fake and bad, but I can do it when the sun's kind of setting and it's still okay. And usually I only have to adjust my ISL a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about branding and like colors and photo setups. We talked about this a little bit, but how do you think bloggers should be with consistency? So is it okay to stray from, let's say you kind of find your, you know, your theme or your brand, your colors, the plates you like, et cetera. Is it okay to stray from that? Or do you feel like they need to stay consistent with that all of the time? Um, I think it's great to break away from that. I think that's how you grow and learn in any type of art field. I think when you're starting out, it's super helpful to experiment with different styles to figure out what you do like and what you don't. And there's always new styles emerging too. Like the light and airy was kind of dominating Instagram for the past five years. And now we have this harsh, like light photography, which I find super beautiful. And I would like to experiment with it myself. So I do think that there is room to break away from that. But I feel like if you kind of look at it, like you're writing your own blog. So maybe you're writing a uh, 70% for SEO and 30% recipes that come from the heart. Maybe your photography is like 70, 80% of what you normally do. And then the other 20 could be experimentation. I like that because you mentioned this, like things are always evolving. So keeping your eye on what those trends are and maybe like if something looks appealing to you, tapping into that once in a while is okay. And then I think like Instagram feeds, do you agree, are just such a good representation of what our brands are visually. So I like to look through my feed once in a while and just do that exact thing. Like, okay, I don't do hardly any overhead shots. I am just 
kind of like naturally drawn to this one angle and I I like closer up views and like getting the cheese pull and the mac and cheese and so once in a while it's good to stand back and look at your Instagram feed from another perspective and just say like what could I add here that's not here so not just like colors and props but also angles and what else is there to experiment with that I have missed I mean, a lot of like when you said taking a look at your Instagram, sometimes I'll look at my Instagram and I, I just love photos with some type of human element. I love adding my hands, but sometimes I look at my Instagram I'm like, wow, every picture has my hands in it. Maybe everybody doesn't need to see that right now. <laughs> yeah. Or like if none of your photos have right. hands, yeah. adding them in once in a while, <laughs> that's kind of fun. I feel like that is kind of trending right now just adding like that human connection to a photo like there's somebody holding this bowl or there's someone holding the spoon or fork or whatever but we didn't used to do that years ago it was like no human sign at all inside the photos but I kind of like that once in a while just seeing I don't know like there's someone there that's so cool yeah I think you're able to just connect with the food more and maybe the person behind the blog or the Instagram account Yeah, totally. What do you feel like is a great first step for someone who maybe is just starting food blogging and they have no idea at all what their style is? They don't even like really know, like looking through other accounts, what appeals to them? Where do they start? I mean, I just practice and I like promise you're going to suck when you start. (laughs) Everybody like have to start somewhere though. And I think a lot of people are very fear-based and they feel like they need to have this perfect blog before they hit the publish button. It's just so not the case. You just need to practice and like realize that you're going to grow. And maybe the people that you do admire, they have tons of followers on Instagram, but like you're looking at them at step like 200. (laughs) you You didn't see them at step one. So it's, it's not really fair to yourself to like compare to somebody who's been doing it for a lot longer. Yeah, they've been in the game for a long time and it does take so long. I feel like this applies to writing as well and really any component of food blogging, pick anything and it's going to require practice. But yeah, and there's always like things changing. Like you said, writing, like people used to write like a whole memoir every post and then we're like okay we don't need to like put our personal anecdotes in every recipe we write yeah so true yeah what are your thoughts about staying consistent across platforms I mean obviously if you take a photo or a series of photos for one post it's going to go on all platforms but should everything look the same if somebody looks at your blog and then Instagram account should they look like very similar can there be differences what are your thoughts um, I would say like fairly similar, but they could be kind of different. Like sometimes I'll like a photo a lot more for Instagram than I do for Facebook. But then there's other photo shoots. I just fall in love with one photo and I'm like, this one needs to be on everything. <laughs> and I do create multiple pins per post. So I have like multiple images circulating on Pinterest for every recipe. Do you do A-B testing? So do you go back and see what is doing better after a period? I personally don't, but I have a VA who is in charge of my Pinterest and she'll tell me which ones kind of perform better. I always have the best intentions with that. I think 
like I'll set up a couple of different images for a post and put different text on there and think like, okay, I'm going to come back in three months and check this out. And I never do it. I <laughs> so I should probably like, do that. There's but a million things on our plate. So I know it's like, back of, is like not on my priority. <laughs> one of the million things that's on the, I will do that someday list. <laughs> okay. So talk to us about anything we've missed regarding branding and food photography. Is there anything you want to touch on with social media or anything on our blogs or just even hard and fast food photography tips that you have? Cause I know you're just like really have dived into this. So anything you've got for us? Yeah. I would say if you're just like feeling overwhelmed, just practice. And if you are stuck on like equipment to buy, I just wouldn't get caught up in buying like the most expensive stuff out there. I definitely recommend starting with just, uh, basic DSLR camera, and then growing your equipment as you start to see limitations in your um, equipment that you're using. Do you have equipment recommendations anywhere on your blog, like specific cameras that you use or lenses or anything like that? that I do. I do. I have a post on all the equipment that I currently use and it's pretty minimal. I don't like to have a ton of equipment for just a couple shoots. Like everything I have, I pretty much use for almost every shoe. So we can link that. Yeah, we'll definitely link that. And then I also wanted to say that I think that's really refreshing because Beginner bloggers start out and I see this all over the forums. They're like, what do I need? And then people will chime in and say, well, you need a C-stand and like all of this stuff. And it's like, oh my gosh, where do I even start with that? So it's refreshing talking to photographers who kind of do the bare minimum, not bare minimum, but you know, they get by with without having all that stuff. So I like to hear that. Yeah, you're not, the equipment doesn't make a good photographer. It's the person. (laughs) So true. So would you recommend starting out investing more like in a good body or a good lens? I would recommend lenses because you can use good lenses on basic DSLR bodies. And then once your budget permits, you can actually upgrade the body. And as long as you're staying in the same system, so like Nikon or Canon, those lenses will work with the new body. Yes. And lenses are so fun to play with, aren't they? Every time I get a new lens, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's nothing more fun than experimenting with a new lens. And it it can totally transform your food. Oh, totally. Like when I got my 100 millimeter lens, I was like, this is this is it. Yes. <laughs> this is what's going to help. Yeah. And that might even be something to propel you forward as far as like taking the time for your photography, because I mentioned earlier that I'm kind of in a rut with like, okay, it's just another step that I feel like I have to get done. So getting, not saying that you like have to go out and buy these fancy lenses, but if you have the resources and you're ready for an upgrade, that might be something that would, for me, that would really encourage me to take a little bit more time to make prettier photos. Yeah. And I am a huge advocate of used photography equipment. Um, oh, yes. Like Great call. So many good websites that have like warranties and all that. And you can find some great prices. So where do you go for that? Where do you find used photography equipment? Um, I check B&H photo a lot. Okay. I've heard someone else just mentioned that too. I have never looked on there, but 
That has me intrigued. And they sell bodies, lenses, lighting, everything. Yeah, they sell everything. And then you can even find some good stuff on eBay, but I would just recommend looking at like the sellers, maybe return policy and like ratings before you just kind of trust anybody on there. (laughs) And then how do people know? I mean, obviously, if, if they have another blogger that they admire, they can ask them for recommendations, but how do they know like Canon versus Nikon or which lens to start with? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. A lot of the times like Facebook groups, they can be helpful, but you will have those people telling you you need to buy like all the things. I recommend, yeah, just doing research online, but I personally shoot with Nikon, but I don't think you can go wrong either way. I think they're both like Canon and Nikon are both super good quality. So Amanda, I know that you have a course that kind of dives into all of this a lot deeper. So food photography, everything food photography, correct? So why don't you just kind of talk us through your course and how people can join you in that if they want to and what they can expect? Yeah. So I actually have a free mini food photography 101 course when you sign up for emails and we can link to that in the show notes. And then I did actually launch a course, uh, a premium course called Food Photography University. And that course is designed to get you to take better photos in less than 30 days. So I cover all the basics like the equipment essentials, lighting, figuring out your personal style, and even how I edit my photos. Oh, so it's like a 30-day course from start to finish. So do they have like modules they do daily, weekly? How does that work? Yeah, they get like all the modules off the bat, but it's just formulated where if you do the work, you can actually see improvement in 30 days. It's not like this super massive course that's going to feel very overwhelming. (laughs) Yeah, it's very digestible. So (laughs) what is the name of your course? Food Photography University. Okay. And then we will link to that and the free version too on your show notes page. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Is there anything else that we have missed discussing that you would like to mention before we say goodbye? No, no. I think that was everything. Well, thank you. This is such a big topic, a hot topic for food bloggers. So I really appreciate you giving all of your amazing information and just being here today. So thank you for doing that. It was my pleasure. Yes. Well, before you go, do you have a favorite quote or words of inspiration for food bloggers that you would like to share? I do. This is my favorite quote. It's by Robert Bringhurst. Um, It's by all means, break the rules and break them beautifully, deliberately and well. That is one of the ends for which they exist. Oh, I love that. I learned it in college and I I live by this quote. You have to like learn the rules. You have to accept them and then figure out how to break them. That is so, it's just such a beautiful concept, especially relating to photography and blogging, I feel like, right? Because we all have these molds that we feel like we have to just mold ourselves into because everybody else does. And it's okay, like you said, like learn the rules and then be yourself. Yes. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. We mentioned before that Amanda has a list of resources. Everything we've talked about today in this episode, we will put on her show notes. And those can be found at eatblogtalk.com forward slash mindful avocado. Amanda, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. 
Um, yeah, so you can find me on my blog, which is mindfulavocado.com, and I'm on all social media for Mindful Avocado, and then Instagram is the Mindful Avocado. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you again, Amanda, for being here, and thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.